Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. From the position of seeing the contrast between wisdom and folly, the wisdom of God, which would be considered what is above the earth or above uh, uh, above into, into the heavens, as opposed to anything that happens under the sun. So above the sun and, and, and under, under the sun. Uh, the contrast with wisdom being from God, contrasted with man's wisdom, uh, which most of the time ends up being folly uh, under the sun, as, has been made pretty clear throughout the first 10 chapters of Ecclesiastes. As we enter into Ecclesiastes chapter 11, we're actually into the last two chapters now of this book, and we will be concluding this study pretty shortly. But he goes on into, uh, Solomon goes on into a new theme, and he begins in verse 1 by saying, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Now I'm going to tell you right now, when you hear some of these little proverbs that Solomon is giving us, they may not at times make any sense, uh, but there's a lot of sense to them. Uh, much of the time when Jesus spoke proverbs or, or parables, uh, they weren't quite understood until he explained them. And so uh, to understand uh, what Solomon is doing, he's giving us little bits of information uh, that we, he wants us to take those those bits of information, and and uh, and really ex extract from them the truths that are that are being found in the examples being given. So he said, "Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth." And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Y'all are sitting there like, huh? He that observeth the wind shall not sow or spread seed, as it were. And he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap, gather in the harvest. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, or in some cases really the, the wind, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is, is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall... Uh, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now, if we were to title this chapter, it would be appropriately called Life, a True Venture in Faith. Life, a True Venture in Faith. As we're nearing the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon once again makes it clear that although we are not able to see or understand God's complete plan fully, and that in this world there is nothing that we can build on to find satisfaction or, or the key to the meaning of life, since all is vanity under the sun, we are still to fulfill God's purposes and be pleasing to him in the way that we are living out our lives. But how, can, how best can we, we live this life under the sun? How best can we live that life that is pleasing to God in this world that does not seek after God? That does not seek to please God because it doesn't believe in God for the most part. How best can we show our lives are being lived out above the sun, directed by the will and purposes of God, how best can we show our lives are being lived out above the sun according to his plan? We Christians often worry 
rather unreasonably about how things are going to turn out in our lives. The simple truth is, of course, we don't have to worry about that. If we trust in an eternal God, if we trust in an awesome God, if we trust in a good God, in a faithful God. But nonetheless, we still worry about how things are going to turn out in our lives. We may be afraid that if we extend or expand ourselves too much for others, that we may just find ourselves in too many trials, in too many testings, which lead to disappointments. But we forget about the great and the precious promises of God. You know, there may be many trials in our walk with the Lord, but there can be no disappointments. Now stop and think about that. I've thought about this for about almost 50 years. It comes and goes, but uh, that's because of my memory, <laughs> for any other reason. But, but I think about it. I think about this issue of disappointments. I think oftentimes in the world we call them regrets. Some of us may have regretted that we didn't do certain things in our lives when we were young. But see, what changes that is when we realize that when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's most important for us to really trust that we are exactly where God wants us to be. And that we lead, let him lead us and that we let him guide us through the course of our lives without any regrets whatsoever. At times I do, I can look back over the years and say, well, I might have regretted not doing one thing or another, but things would have been a whole lot different if I had done those things. In fact, they may have kept me from where I am today. Do you understand that? It may have kept me from becoming what God has made me to be today. So when it comes down to it, um, a song that, uh, that Phil Keggy once sang a long, long time ago kind of describes what I'm saying. Disappointments, his appointments. Disappointments, his appointments. Change one letter and you'll see that the working of God's purpose is God's better choice for me. It's amazing. Uh, I believe it came actually from C.S. Lewis, this, this particular thought. Disappointment, his appointment. So what then we should understand about life now is that his faithfulness, God's faithfulness, is our security. God said, I am going to be faithful to you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. I will lead you and guide you according to my will and purpose. I am so thankful that God didn't leave us alone. That we didn't come to Jesus and say, oh Lord, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Okay, well you're saved, now you're on your own. That he didn't do that. He didn't do that for any of us. Sometimes we take that route and say, well, thanks for saving me, now we go. But that wasn't Jesus' plan. That's not the Lord's plan for us. His faithfulness is our security. The labor that we sow in his care will certainly bring its own harvest. The labor that we sow, our going out and doing the seed planting, as it were, in our lives, will bring about its own harvest. The life that God has given us to live is truly to be a venture of faith. It is to be something that we... And the word venture is very important because it actually comes from this understanding of an adventure. The Christian life is an adventure with God, isn't it? And when I think of God's faithfulness, 
I'm always drawn to Lamentations chapter 3. One of the saddest books in the Bible. And yet in the very middle of this sad book, in Lamentations chapter 3, the very middle of that book, five chapters, all about the weeping and the wailing over, over the, the children of, of Judah's just rejection of, of God and, and then being judged and, and now facing all of that judgment. Yet in the middle of it all, this is what God says. Well, this is first of all what Jeremiah says, because he says, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. You know that wonderful hymn we sing sometimes? Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. This is where it comes from. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to, uh, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a, man should be, that, that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. In a nutshell, Jeremiah is saying this is what we have as believers. We have a hope. In the faithfulness of God. We have a hope in the faithfulness of the one who created us, who made us, who knows us, and who will always love us. And when we think about life being a venture of faith, we have to consider from what uh, Solomon is giving us, from the perspective that Solomon is giving us here, about serving our God. Life is truly a venture in giving. Life is a venture in giving generously. Sometimes we hear the word giving and we go, you know, we kind of, you know, we wait for, you know, the attack of the, you know, they got your wallets and all of that kind of stuff. We don't do that here. Giving, folks, is a, a lot more than just financial. Giving is about giving ourselves completely and totally to the work that God has called us to do. But we are still to have a life that is a venture in giving generously. So now, with that understanding, we come to verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 11, and, and Solomon says, Cast thy bread upon the waters. For thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Let's see if I can give some understanding with a couple of stories here. A very wealthy, religious, little old lady had a real soft heart for any panhandler she happened to meet on the street. One day she met a very shabbily dressed man and impulsively pressed a $5 bill into his hand, smiled warmly and, and whispered, Godspeed. It's kind of a good way of saying God be with you. Godspeed. The next day that poorly dressed man knocked at the door of her house and he said to her, here's your hundred dollars. Godspeed came in first and paid 20 to one. Okay, I know where some of you are coming from. You're the ones that understood that. Uh, okay, some of you. Uh, maybe a, let's get a little more serious. It was the day after Christmas. And the man parked his car to pick up the morning paper. He noticed a dirty, poorly dressed little boy looking at his car. Seeing the boy eyeing the car, he reminded himself to be quick or he might be missing a hubcap when he returned. He came out of the store with his paper under his arm. And just as he opened his door to his car, the boy asked him, Mister, 
How much would a new car like this cost? The man responded, I I really don't know. My brother gave me this car as a gift. The ragged little boy looked unbelievingly at the car and then with a look of wonder in his eyes, he said, gee, I wish I could be a brother like that. I wish I could be a brother like that. You know, sometimes we hear a story like that and we think he's going to say, I wish I had a brother like that. But a different attitude. Gee, I wish I was, I could be a brother like that. You know what we read in verses 1 and 2 has been interpreted in many ways. Some have said that bread mentioned here, cast thy bread upon the waters. That this bread was really bread corn or seed that was cast upon the receding waters of a river, apparently wasted. And yet it would be deposited and later would produce a good harvest. Something that is actually pictured in Isaiah chapter 32 verse 20. Where it says, blessed are ye that sow beside all waters, that send forth thither the feet of the ox and the ass. Which means, you sow beside the waters, the seed gets on the water, but but yet when it recedes, the seed is planted. And because it's so close to the moisture, that it's going to cause a tremendous growth and a harvest. Another view builds upon the investments made by Solomon as he cast bread upon the waters by sending out his ships with grain to return many days later with the fortunes made by the sails. Those of you who have been involved in that uh, form of of job of uh, sales and, and purchasing and all, I mean, this could make some wonderful sense. To you. It's an investment. Casting bread upon the waters would be like an investment. You take your product out and uh, when it all comes back in, it comes back in with a profit of some sort. While this view is certainly valid, practical in regard to faith, let's consider one other view. Because the phrase, cast your bread upon the waters, was a proverb in Israel for what looked like a a wasteful expenditure. No one would take good bread and throw it into the river. Some would call it a risk. We are encouraged to be bold in our giving to those who are in need. We may not know how they're going to use it, It may not even be apparent that they will use it wisely. I think we face that at least once a week, maybe more than that, when you drive up to a corner by the freeway or some major intersection and and there are people out there with signs. You know, of course, the signs say, you know, we'll work for food and they never work for food. They just are given money and you give it uh, hopefully to help them but you don't know if it really goes for, for help or not. Nevertheless, a lot of generous hearts. But here's the thing. If we are generous, and if we become generous, then we enter into a realm with God that may help us to understand what it means to cast our bread upon the waters in that way. And so nevertheless, be generous, for in the, wisdom and of, uh, in the wisdom of and purpose of God, it may very well return to you someday when you are in need of help. That's what verse 2 means when you put it all together. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give give. A portion to seven and also to eight. You know, give as often as you can. Why? For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You don't know that one day you may be facing a trial. 
We may be facing a loss. And how amazing is it if this has been your experience? It has been for me at times. And I'm sure it has been for you too. But you go about your life wanting to be Christ-like and you wanting to be helpful. And, and certainly at times we, we want to be wise too. But when we do give, and we just give because we love the Lord and we love being obedient to him. Somewhere down the line, we run into a situation, we run into a problem. And then all of a sudden, Someone helps us. Someone helps you. Someone helps me. And you think, how wonderful God is. That he told us this was what was going to happen. Oh, give to seven. Oh, give to eight. Because you don't know. When you'll need. But it'll be there. It will be there. Consider Proverbs 19, verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor, notice this, lendeth unto the Lord. That that changes the whole perspective then of how we give, if we give or not give. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth to the Lord or lendeth unto the Lord and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Has God not been faithful To be there for us when we need help. And sometimes that help isn't monetary. Sometimes that help comes in so many varied ways. Even Jesus would touch upon this principle. In Luke 6 verse 38. Give, he said. And it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over. (laughs) What an what a description. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Understand that the attitude of the heart is what the Lord was dealing with. What he was talking about is don't give grudgingly. Give from a cheerful heart. Give because God has blessed you to give. Paul himself would write in Hebrews 6 verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God takes Note of everything we do for others. And by the way, he also takes note of the things we don't do when we could do. And don't, don't be looking at me and saying, no, but is that, that legalism? No, it's not. It's just life. In a most, what happened to my notes? <laughs> there they are. In a most simple way of understanding. Verse 2 is saying to us that we are doing good. We need to be sure to help more than just one person. In fact, help quite a few people because you may get into some trouble yourself at some later time with the hope many people would be willing to help you. If you go back to Solomon's investments for just a moment, Consider, if you will, the diversifying of your assets. The diversifying of your your assets. I hate to be so technical here, but let me put it in other words. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify. Put some here, 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 here. Wise investors do that. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. If all the grain were in one ship and it crashed, what would they have left? Solomon sent out ships to make sure 
that most of them would get out. If, if something happened to one, there would be a little bit of a loss. But that could be made up with what else made, made it safely to, to whichever harbor it was going. Also consider that at times, we are not given the full extent of the needs some may have. So in our giving liberally, we may just be meeting needs we know nothing about. And that's okay. We never go, you know, some guys, you know, uh, panhandling we call it, but, you know, some guys, you know, standing there with his sign and you just feel the urge to give and roll down your window. Well, no, we don't roll down windows anymore, do we? It's press the button, the window goes, hmm. Yeah. I used to like to roll the window down. But you couldn't raise it up fast enough, you know, so. That was the problem with those, you know. But you roll your window down and, and, and they'll come up and you never say, what are you going to do with this dollar? I'm not going to give it to you unless you tell me what you're going to do. <laughs> there have been people that do that at church sometimes. All right, we're going to give, but you got to tell us what you're going to do with it. Oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> Go to McDonald's? I don't know. I mean, it's, come on. So the very same thing is that when God puts us, you know, puts something on our hearts to give because we know that there's a need there. We don't know how, what the need may be. We, we may judge at times and sometimes strongly. Well, I'm not going to give something to somebody that they're going to go buy booze or cigarettes or whatever else. Unless God puts that in your heart. And you're discerning of it. When you give, you may be giving to something that's even greater than you ever thought. So that's why I say, it's okay. If the Lord put it on your heart, then you do so. Consider other Proverbs on generosity here as, as we get to verses 3 and 4 of our text. It says, if, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Now we say, well, that's, that's pretty nice, meteorolo meteorologically, you know, and, and scientifically and all of that. Uh, you know, clouds, usually that are full of rain, will empty themselves upon the earth. And then it says, and if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth there, it shall be. Why, of course, that's where it will be, because it fell there. <laughs> so why are we reading this? Verse 4, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. You know, when the wind's blowing hard, you don't go out there and the seed's going to be all scattered away from, from where, you're, where you're sowing in the fertile ground. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. What are these proverbs about? Because that's what they are. They're proverbs. Let's take the clouds for a minute in verse 3. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. What is Solomon telling us? The clouds, if there is charity in your heart, if there is love in your heart, it's going to show itself. If you are like the clouds filled with rain, you'll empty yourself where the, uh, where the rain needs to be, where the blessing needs to go, where the blessing needs to fall. If there's charity, love, Agape in the Greek. It will show itself. Love will always show itself. The love of Christ will always show itself. James chapter 2. Listen to what, what he writes here in verses 14 through 16. What, what does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warm and be, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needed to the body, what does it profit? Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. 
words that do nothing. But if the cloud is full of rain, if the heart is full of the love of God, and God has provided for you to bless others, then it's the blessing that fulfills the need that God is speaking about here. But Solomon is, is, is getting to our understanding. This is when words are cheap. If all we have is words, though we have the ability to bless. Then comes the next proverb, where the tree falls. So we look at that and it says, and if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, and the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. That's right. Where the tree falls, be a blessing. Wherever the sovereignty of God places you, wherever God takes you, wherever God leads you, wherever it is that you are to be, because God has brought you there, taken you there, planted you there, the tree has fallen, be the blessing where you are. Storm clouds give us time to prepare before the rain comes, but trees fall unexpectedly. With that in mind, always be prepared for the unexpected. Always be prepared for the unexpected. Convert obstacles into op opportunities. So where God has put you in your present circumstances, that is where you are to give. Where God has put you. Meet the needs around you. Whichever way the tree falls, it will still be to your benefit. Here again, what, what would that be only monetary? Of course not. There are those of us here that are very talented in what we do and preparing foods for other people and we do it for our families. Sometimes God puts it on our hearts to do it for somebody that might come to your door. And that case has been fulfilled many, many times in life. So many testimonies of people that say, you know, I'm going to make a pie or I'm going to make a extra food for something. For so, I don't know. And you do it and then the knock on the door comes and somebody says, I, I'm just wondering if there's anything that uh, you, know, you can give, haven't eaten, Got it right here. <laughs> the Lord put it on my heart to do this. I, you know, uh, I think I think of the wondrous things that happened in the life of George Mueller in, in England, and how many times he just prayed. You know that he, he had a he had an orphanage, and the orphanage back in the I guess it was the late 1900s. Uh, you know, he, every day they prayed. He, every day he had faith to pray for the needs that they had. One day they needed a lot of milk. They had a bunch of kids that didn't have any milk. And, and he prayed, and a milkman's cart fell apart right in front of the orphanage. And the man came and said, can you use this milk? Be a blessing where God places you. Where the tree falls, where the tree falls, be a blessing. You're the tree, <laughs> so wherever you fall, be a blessing. And then comes the next proverb, observing the wind and regarding the clouds. Kind of gives us the understanding here that uh, some people wait for the perfect time for things to happen. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Waiting for a perfect time. Don't wait until you think you're ready. Don't wait for the perfect time to give. When, by the way, when is the perfect time to give? 
Is, is there a perfect time to give? Yes, there is a perfect time to give. Anytime the Lord puts on your heart to give. That's the perfect time to give. It may not seem like the perfect time to you, but it's the perfect time to give. So don't wait until you think you're ready. It would be like those who say that, that they won't go to church until they make themselves ready. Well, I can't go to church. I, I got to make myself ready. No, you don't. You need to go to church because you're a sinner, just like all of us. And you need to hear God's word, and you need to get right with God, and you need to come to Jesus Christ, and you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you, you know, you're not going to do that by sticking around at home or going here or going there. Well, I got to make myself ready. No, no, no. He'll make you ready. The fact of the matter is we're already at the very moment that we need Christ. We're ready. And what I think is, is so amazing is that God opens our eyes when we don't think we're ready because God doesn't care about what we can do. Does he? I mean, he doesn't, he, he doesn't look at us and say, you know, when you get yourself ready and you do this and you do that and you follow the Ten Commandments and you go here and there and do this, is that what the Lord does? No. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Not by what we think we have to do. There's not a thing we can do anyway. Why? Because we're sinners. And the fact is, before we come to Christ, we're also dead. We're alive physically, but we're dead spiritually. That is why Jesus has to save us. That is why we have to trust in the Lord. So, it'll never happen if we have to wait to get ready to do this. I think uh, we've all heard that little phrase, nothing ventured, nothing gained. If we magnify every little difficulty and make the worst of it, we will never give and certainly lose the benefit promised. Because there's benefit in the, in the promises that God said. If you give, I'm going to give you back. And I'm going to take care of you. The more you give, when you really need something, it'll be there. Often we hear of many impoverished by extravagance. They have actually become impoverished because they spend so much on themselves and they spend way beyond what they could, uh, could live on. Few indeed by liberality, the spending freely. Oswald Chambers wrote this. He said, not how much we give, but what we do not give is the test of our Christianity. It's an amazing insight to this situation. Not how much we give, but what we do not give is the test of our Christianity. One of the historic people of our past 20th century, Sir Winston Churchill, somebody I, I read about and study a lot about. He's quoted as saying this. He said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And remember that life is a venture of faith. And life is a venture in giving generously. Which means that there has to be a source of generosity. So we find that in verses 5 and 6 of our text. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. What does all that mean? Well, here is the cold reality of verse 5. The cold reality is, as thou knowest not. Most modern translation says, you do not know, as thou knowest not. Many times in this book, in the book of Ecclesiastes, this phrase is used to refer to the mystery of life and how the Lord works in life. We don't always know how he does things. 
I think one day, it would, when, we come to, when we come to grips with the fact that we're not ever really going to know how God does things in this life, we usually kind of surrender and we say, well, I'll ask him when I get to heaven. Well, you may, you have plenty of time. That's an eternity that will be there. But most of the time we'll be worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord wherever and whatever it is that God is going to give us to do. But while we're here, we're not ever going to know fully or even understand fully the mysteries of life and how the Lord works in life. This verse points to our lack of understanding of the power of God. We don't know how he produces life within an unborn, uh, within a mother who has an unborn child and, and, and how he gives them human personality, how he gives them uniqueness. We don't know. I mean, scientifically, I mean, we can take pictures and, and nowadays we can see the growth within the wombs with, with all different sorts of methods. But we don't know how he makes a personality. And you, you, we look around today and look how different each one of us is. I am so thankful that we live in this nation as, as rough a time as it's going through right now. I, I really think it's such a blessing that we live in this nation. Because here's the thing. Unless you chose to dress the same, we all look different. Because when God made us, he made us different. Each and every one of us. We have certain characteristics that come from our our families, from our parents, and from their parents, and on and on and on. We've been amazed when we look at pictures of, <clears throat> of, of ancestors, you know, of uh, great-grandfathers or so, and they're all, you know, they never smiled in the 1800s. They never smiled in pictures, you know. But, you know, they would stand there and you would say, wow, that looks like so-and-so. That looks like, whoa, you know. And, and we, we we're amazed where we got our looks. Sometimes we forget how unique God has made each and every one of us. We don't know how he uses his gifts except for the fact that he uses them through such imperfect vessels as us. And that's another amazing thing about God. By the way, do you, do you remember the woman who threw in what would have been less than two cents into the temple treasury? We, we call her the, the, you know, the widow with two mites. Jesus said she gave more than all the others who had given. This has puzzled many. The two mites, which was barely a drop in the bucket, was more than the wealth deposited by the richest people. This is the power of God to use our gifts. We may not think that we give like we think God wants us to. But when we give from the heart, and when we give, sometimes even from our poverty, God multiplies it tremendously. We don't know what he's going to do with what we give. We can't even understand his timing. Whether a gift given at a prosperous time would do any better than a small gift given when things don't seem so good. But we're encouraged to give because God loves a cheerful giver. We know that. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 11. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. If you sow seed sparingly, just a little bit here, a little bit there, well, you shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. 
Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your, righteous, of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. The Lord changes and blesses lives. The Lord changes and blesses lives. The Lord changes lives and he blesses lives. He can change even the course of the world by, by that which is called Christian giving. He can change the whole course of the world if we all were giving the way he wanted us to give. And, I'm, and again, if you'll notice, I've never said about giving anything here. That's a responsibility between you and the Lord. And we leave that with you and them and him. That's an important aspect of giving. But what we're dealing with is this kind of giving that God says, you give and you don't need to know what I'm going to do with it. You don't always need to know, in other words, what I'm going to do with it. Frank Freed said this. He said, folks, the grass is not greener on that side of the fence. And the grass is not greener on this side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you water it. Going back to 2 Corinthians for just a moment, look at verses, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Go back a chapter from where you were. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Translation, they gave out of their deep poverty, but they gave liberally. It may not have been much, but it was what God would take and multiply. It was what the Lord would have had them do. They gave themselves to the Lord. And folks, that's the pattern, isn't it? We give ourselves to the Lord first. And then we, re we need to remember what we have still belongs to the Lord. We're just stewards. We are just managers of what God has given us to manage. It's still his. I don't know that we think about it that way. Maybe we should. It's still his. Let's not be like the person who said this. Get all you can. Can all you get. And then sit on the can. Did you get it? Get all you can. Can all you get, put it in a can, put a lid on it, and then sit on the can. Is that what the Lord would have us do? No. We're not to be like that person. There's no way for an investment to take place. Jesus talked about it also, about these faithful stewards and unfaithful stewards that were given so much. Those who did wisely invested what they had. Was, it could not have been very much for some, more for others. But there was one who took it and buried it, thinking that's what he thought the, that the master wanted. But it wasn't. 
Everybody else built a, a tremendous profit in the investment that was given, except for the one who buried it. When he buried it, the master got upset and took what he gave and gave it to the one who invest, invested the most. So our understanding then is not just so much in what we give monetarily, but what we give according to what God purposes in our hearts to give. So let me leave you with the words of Paul in Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10, where Paul says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. When we see a need amongst ourselves, especially bless those that God has called you to bless. There will be others outside of the church that need help. As God leads you, you give. I think we've come to the understanding that God has blessed us all. Maybe not at the same level, but God has blessed us. Some people have been very wise with, their, with God's investment. And that's a good thing. So understand that this is a principle, a biblical principle, that Solomon is, is bringing us to grips with in our own personal life. And so, cast your breath upon the waters, for thou shall find it after many days. There'll be a place of safekeeping in the heart of God for you.